Welcome to Life Source Church. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud. I hope it's not going to be a distraction for you today, but I want the cross to be so visible because that is the pivotal point of Easter. The cross is empty. He is not there. He is not in the tomb because he is alive. And so this morning, hopefully, I know notes help people stay on track. Notes help people stay connected. Sometimes notes help people stay awake. Uh, But hopefully today that you'll be able to kind of follow along in a way where it's like you're connecting with the Lord and not just the material. Scripture is so profound and has such power. And I want people to really connect with Easter today in a way that they feel like they've met with God and not just attended an Easter service. So please pray with me as we kind of get into the word and start the rest of the service, at least this portion of it. Uh, Pray with me now. Fathers, we come before you. We are so humbled at what had to be done to take care of sin and the sin problem that this world has. Lord, that you had to come down, that you had to bear our sin, that you had to endure an unbelievable death. All for your love for us, to be able to restore relationship, to restore communication with you, to be able to be able to reach out to you. Lord, we're humbled by your love. We're humbled by your justice. We're humbled by your mercy. And Father, we ask that you would meet with us in a very special way this morning that we would walk away today changed, different, whether we know you personally already or maybe we meet you today. We thank you now in Christ's name. Amen. Now, if you know me, I laugh a lot. And if you know me, my laugh is very distinct because most people go, that's Dave, I can hear him. So I I had to start off this morning with just a little icebreaker. Um, Someone was driving down the street and they were in a panic because they were very late for a meeting and they were just desperate. And so they finally said, you know what, Lord, Lord, please help me find a parking place. I will do anything. In fact, I will vow to go to church every single week until the day I die. Just help me find a parking place that's close. And this person's looking around and lo and behold, a parking place right in front of the very building of where they wanted to be opens up. And they were like, oh, Lord. Never mind, I found one on my own. (laughs) Oh my goodness! (laughs) Uh Uh-oh. But that's not as bad as little Johnny. Little Johnny loves Sunday school. In fact, he went to Sunday school and heard the message that day. And when he got home, his mom said, hey, what was Sunday school about today? And he was like, mom, you'll never believe it. Moses went into enemy territory and he brought all of his people in there. And what he did is he got to this water and they had to have engineers build this pontoon bridge. And it was amazing. And they got over the water. And then he called on his walkie-talkie back to reinforcements. And they came and they bombed the bridge. And they were saved. Now, little Johnny, is that the story you really learned at Sunday school today? Well, no, Mom, but if I tell you the way I heard it, you wouldn't believe it at all. (laughs) Right? God's God's provision and God's miraculous works can be difficult to recognize, and sometimes we dismiss them. But know what? 
we're no different than the people that were right alongside Jesus. Sometimes they didn't understand what was going on. Sometimes they saw things a little differently. And sometimes as they encountered God, they couldn't explain things. In fact, Matthew 17, verses 22 and 23 says this. As they were gathering in Galilee, Jesus said to them, The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him, and he will be raised on the third day. And here's their response, which is pretty incredible. And they were greatly distressed. Didn't they hear what he just said? I mean, some kind of a miraculous thing was just going to happen. And I think what happened was is they, they stopped listening after they heard, and they will kill him. But this was God's plan in action. This was how it was supposed to go down. This was Jesus' teaching to be embraced, and the teachings to be embraced. This was the only way to conquer sin and death before a holy and righteous God. This was not what the people expected. This is not how the people saw things going down either. And they were confused. The people seemed to stop listening. And I hope today that will not be the case for us. The idea of resurrection was not new to the Jews. Some might think, well, you know, this is the New Testament, things are happening, all of Jesus' teaching was new. But resurrection was not new to God's people. Uh, in fact, it was taught in some of the oldest scriptures. Uh, the New Testament highlights the significance of the resurrection so we don't miss its multifaceted power. There's so much to be found in the resurrection. 1 Corinthians 15, 17 puts it this way. If Christ had not been raised or resurrected, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. He did not want to leave us there because he loves us that much. He wanted to do something to restore right, us. So this morning we're going to look at the significance of the resurrection as presented in the Old Testament. And I know some people think, oh, Old Testament, snooze fest. Hopefully that won't be the case today. Uh, we're going to kind of breeze through it sort of in a survey fashion where we're just going to kind of hit the mountaintops. So we won't get in deep in the valley. No, we'll just hit the mountaintops and the kind of the good stuff. Uh, but hopefully today you will see how resurrection has been this teaching all along, all along, all along. And now it's happening. And then the significance that is there for us. Whether you're a Christian for years or whether you're trying to seek God out and understand what it means to be in part of his family. So first, we want to look at the resurrection is the solution to all evil. And we're going back to Job, way back to Job, one of the first books written, right? Um, Job is the book of the Bible that was written first and asks important questions that the rest of the Bible will answer. One of those questions comes from Job himself, Job 14, 14. If a man dies, will he live again? Job knows that death is permanent, right? We all know death is pretty permanent, right? And that once he dies, he'll be unable to plead his case with God. His sin will keep him endlessly trapped in the grave because the only currency that can pay for sin is death. And in fact, Christ proved it, right? His death proved it. The payment of sin is death. Therefore, Job recognized early on that the best possible resolution to sin and its deadly consequence is the resurrection, a way to come back from that. There had to be, because that's the payment. And that's, we can't kind of let go of that, as, as weird as it sounds, because it's like God wants us to understand. 
we're all we're kind of letting the cat out of the bag. We'll be at this end, but all of us have been affected by sin. No one is exempt. And Job was well aware of that. And so it's like the payment is death. But in order to be in front of God and to have any kind of a conversation with God, there has to be some kind of life that happens after and what that looks like. And we're going to talk about that a little later. So how do we conclude what Job thought? In Job 19.26, he declares with confidence, even after my skin is destroyed, yet from my flesh I will see God. Job doesn't know how God's going to do it, but he believes in his heart that somehow God will raise him from the dead. Through it all, Job maintains that I'm going to stand before God and I'm going to have to give account. And there's a way that God can accomplish that. Elihu agrees with him later in Job 33, 28. It says, he has redeemed my soul from going down into the pit and my life shall look upon the light. Elihu also recognizes that the resurrection must be real and they both believed against all odds the resurrection is the solution to all evil. So how many of you would say, yeah, evil's, evil's a real thing? Yeah, I mean, if you're living today and you're seeing what's happening, we all know that evil is real. And so the resurrection is one thing that impacts that because when we get impacted by the resurrection, it changes who we are. Ask any follower of Christ. The idea of resurrection was not new. So secondly... The resurrection is dependent on the Messiah. We're going to go to Psalms for that. And that's, that's Christ. I don't want you to miss that. Christ is the Messiah. And there's controversy over that, right? If you talk to some people, they would say, well, Jesus isn't. Jesus is. Jesus is the Messiah. And there's so much proof. But we're not, that's another message. <laughs> but we're going to look at the Psalms here. And it says, if resurrection is the solution to all evil, it will require a specific individual with the right qualifications to make it happen. Right? Messiah was very specific. It was very significant of what Messiah was going to be. The book of Psalms introduces the Messiah as this person. Psalm 91.16 says this. With a long life I will satisfy him and let him see my salvation. Uh, God promises to give the Messiah long life. And literally it says length of days. Uh, which is a technical phrase sometimes associated with resurrection. Um, Psalm 21.4 puts it this way. He asked life of you, you gave it to him. Length of days, forever and ever. So there's this afterlife, there's this long life that's going to happen. Connected with resurrection, definitely connected with Messiah. Psalm 23.6, most of us are very, very familiar with this verse. But surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So there's a time thing here, and there's something that happens, and it's like forever is going to happen, but what's that going to look like? One theologian expresses it this way. In Psalm 17, 15, David expresses confidence that God will satisfy him as well with the resurrection. And it says, as for me, I shall behold your face in righteousness. I will be satisfied with your likeness when I awake. How does David know this will happen? And I mean, there's so many countless times we hear, you know, people go, who go to sleep, who are asleep. And they're talking about death. They're not talking about, you know, they're drowsy. So this whole idea of, there's, yes, people are going to sleep, but people are also going to awake. And so resurrection is tying this together. Um, 
David explains in Psalm 16:10, for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, nor will you allow your Holy One to undergo decay. David is sure that his own resurrection is secure because he knows that God will not allow the Messiah, God's Holy One, to undergo decay. And that's, that's part of all of how these things happen. That's part of the fact that after he was on the cross and went to the grave, he rose again, and decay was not a piece of who he was and what happened. The Messiah's resurrection is the basis for David's resurrection. So we have to kind of start to make this personal, start to understand our life, where we're at, the direction of where we're going, the direction of where we stand before God, and know that we will stand before him one day. As a result, David affirms in Psalm 21, verse 4, what Psalm 91, 16 said about the Messiah. He asked life of you, you gave it to him, length of days, forever and ever. It's also the reason David pictures the Messiah alive uh, in Psalm 22, 21, after describing his royal execution. Save me from the lion's mouth, from the horns of the wild oxen, you answer me. I will tell of your name to my brethren. In the midst of the assembly, I will praise you. He's pictured as alive and robust and living, not dead whatsoever as the Messiah. In this, David claims in verse 29 that all of God's people will also undergo a resurrection. And he puts it this way. All those who go down to the dust will bow before him, even he who cannot keep his soul alive. So clearly the pictures here, the imagery here is Yes, there is something that's going to happen. Some people think, you know, oh, you die and it's over. Not true. And David's trying to help get us to that place where it's like, no, there's more to it than just this. David recognizes that a resurrection for humanity must rest on the shoulders of a powerful redeemer. Psalm 103 kind of gives us that idea. Who redeems your life from the pit? Who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy? Psalm 49.15 also says, But God will ransom my soul from the power of Sheol, for he will receive me. Selah. So again, it's all tied to Messiah. It's tied to what he's done. It's tied to the fact that he was the forerunner. It was tied to the fact that he was put on a cross. He was buried. He was there. And on the third day, rose again. It's tied to Messiah. The resurrection is dependent, I'm sorry, is the proof of God's love. And we're going to look to Hosea to kind of provide that for us. It says, now the resurrection is anchored by a future Messiah. The book of Hosea submits resurrection as prime evidence that God loves his people. And some people question that. Some people say, well, you know, how can God be loving but these things happen? How can God be loving and that happens? But we have to believe the truth about who God is. And then have other things align into that. See, sometimes we try to put it the other way around. We try to fit God into the things. We've got to believe the truth about God and then interpret around that. Hosea 6.2 announces, He will revive us after two days. He will raise us up on the third day, that we may live before him. And here God allowed Israel to die because of their sin. Right, allowed them to be taken away. But he also promises to raise them from the dead by returning them from exile. Again, we're seeing the picture here that God's providing for us. The Messiah guarantees Israel's resurrection because 1 Corinthians 15.4 tells us he too was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. 
The promise of a resurrection demonstrates that God loves his people. See, that's so hard for us to sometimes capture because life is hard. Life is challenging. I don't know. I can look. I can see everybody here today, and I know there are different stories happening in every seat, and I don't know what's going on. I don't know what's going on inside in your life. I don't know what the personal struggles you're dealing with. I don't know what the, the things you're celebrating are. But God does. And he's capable of caring for those things and impacting those things and reaching out to you and being with you in those times. He loves us that much. And it's not because we've done anything. So that's the cool part. You know, we like other people because, you know, we either vibe with them or we're like-minded or whatever, but God loves us all regardless. There's nothing we have to do to earn his love. And we don't comprehend that, that dynamic easily. We think, well, surely God wants us to act a certain way or be a certain way or do a certain thing or, uh, you know, whatever, because it's like, oh, he sounds so mean. He's, no, that's not who he is. And when we understand that, and it doesn't mean God loves us, that means everything's permissive and it's willy-nilly crazy. Because love sometimes brings us into boundaries. Love brings us into a place that is safe for us. Love brings us into order for our good, our best. Hosea 13, 14 takes it a step further, though. So shall I ransom them from the power of Sheol? Shall I redeem them from death? O death, where are your thorns? O Sheol, where is your sting? Familiar verse we hear sometimes at funerals. Not only does God ensure that his people will overcome the grave, he also promises to give death a taste of its own medicine. Death will be put to death permanently. Just as permanent as the resurrection is, how eternal that is, death will be permanently put to death. So not even death can separate God's people from his love. Death will forever be silent as the grave. The eternal aspect of resurrection is the ultimate proof of God's love. So, four, cruising along. The resurrection is the key to a new creation. This is the exciting part. We go to Isaiah for this. Understand what Isaiah is. I don't know. I've probably over the last three years, Isaiah has just become comfort to me. You know, there's so much in there that talks about the future. There's so much in there that talks about life. There's so much in there that, to me, just feels relevant today. It's really kind of strange. Um, but God's Word tells us, right, there's new, nothing new under the sun. But Isaiah is one of those things where it's just, there's just a picture there that I can't help but enjoy. But Isaiah builds on Hosea's claim that resurrection is proof of God's love by putting it, its incredible benefits on display. And Isaiah 25.8 says it this way. He will swallow up death forever. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces. And the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth. For the Lord has spoken. Let that sink in for a minute. Wipe away all tears. Wipe away. And again, it doesn't mean life's going to be perfect. But God will provide understanding for us to have. You see it and get through it and endure it. Isaiah reiterates the eternal nature of the resurrection, but then adds a wonderful blessing to it. God will wipe away every tear. 
Isaiah focuses on the beautiful developments of the resurrection. It will be a time of joy, not sorrow. It will be a time of hope, not despair. It will be a new creation. I mean, think about that. Think if you could just flip a switch and just make all things new. Now, if you've come to Christ, if you're a Christ follower, there was a point in time when that kind of happened for you. And you realize, wow, my life is so different. Uh, my wife and I, we walk on a regular basis, and we were just kind of talking about what keeps people locked into certain things, certain behaviors, certain ways of living. It's like, what is it? Is it what they believed, or is it something that's happened to them that keeps them kind of believing certain things? Because it's like, I know for me, when I came to Christ, there were certain things in my life that just kind of went. They were no issue any longer. But then there's some other stuff that's just kind of, it's there. <laughs> it's like, why does this stay in my life? But I understand it a little bit better because it's like God uses it to keep me humble. God uses it to keep me faithful to him, to go back and to ask and to request and to like help me understand. And God is so faithful to provide these things in my life but yes, I'm a new creation in him because I'm trusting him for my salvation, for my eternity. But it doesn't mean some of that, some of the scars that I picked up just go away. That's the thing with scars, right? The pain goes away, but the scar kind of stays. And some of them are like, oh, that's a cool scar. And some of those are like, oh, I remember that. <laughs> Life is very much like that too. But God, this whole idea of new creation in God helps us see them things in a much better light. From the outside, God will use resurrection to make every wrong right. Capture that. From the inside out, God will use resurrection to make every wrong right. Isaiah 26, 19 echoes the hope of a resurrection from the perspective of the saints. Your dead will live. Their corpses will rise. You who lie in the dust, awake and shout for joy. For your dew is as the dew of the dawn, and the earth will give birth to the dead. Not only will the earth be a new creation, but also each person. For they will all shout for joy once they awake. Don't you want to shout for joy? Don't you want to kind of have victory over some of the stuff in this life that has gotten you down? Yes. I, I, it's... God provides it. According to Isaiah 53.10, all of this will happen because the Messiah will rise from the dead. It says it this way, Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief when his soul makes an offering for sin. He shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. And this expression of prolong his days echoes the language of Psalm 21.4. He asked life of you. You gave him length of days forever and ever. Isaiah points back to David's prophecy about the Messiah to show that he is the one who will usher in a new creation. And it'll happen through the resurrection. It's happened through the resurrection. Isaiah leaves no doubt that the resurrection is the key to a new creation. So we're moving along. There's seven, just so you know. We're at number five. The resurrection is instituted by the new covenant, and we're going to Ezekiel to see that. 
So we're in the Old Testament, see? So you see, all along, resurrection, resurrection, the fact that there's life, the fact that God's bringing restoration, the fact that there's a new creation. God is working, God is working. God has been working since day one. When Sid entered the life, entered this life, sorry, God's been at work to restore. And sometimes we don't see the damage that sin has done in our world. And that's why the Bible is so good <laughs> to, to bring light there. Up to this point, the time that the resurrection will take place is unclear in the Bible and Scripture and time. But the book of Ezekiel finally gives it a deadline by assigning it to the new covenant. God's people will become new creations because Ezekiel 36, 26 promises that they will be given new hearts and a new spirit. It says, moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. A heart of stone signifies a dead heart, but a heart of flesh symbolizes a heart that is alive. A resurrection, a resurrection will first take place inside the hearts of God's people when he offers them the transforming power of his covenant. And I, I remember a time in my life where I felt like I had that heart of stone, where I was numb to the things of this world, where I was emotionless because I had become so proficient at just becoming numb because I'd been hurt, I'd been abused, I'd had things happen in my life that were not great. But you know what happens? That also the numbness, the, the pain, those kinds of things also numb you to everything that's good. See, numbness is not selective. Yes, you can numb yourself to the things that are harmful, the things that are hurtful, but what eventually happens is you also become numb to things that are good. And joy in life just doesn't seem to be there. And I understand why people struggle with isolation. I understand why people struggle with depression. I understand it because it's like when you are numbing yourself from the, this world and the things that it does to you, it becomes a very unhappy place. It does not have to be that way because God can impact your life and change it. The new covenant provides that. A spiritual resurrection also serves as the basis for a physical resurrection. The following chapter in Ezekiel is the famous passage about the resurrection of dry bones. Ezekiel 37, 3 through 5 and verse 10. This is how it reads. He said to me, son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord, you know. Again, he said to me, prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, behold, I will cause breath to enter that you may come to life. So I prophesied as he commanded and the breath came into them and they came to life and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. Can you imagine that? You're in the desert, and there's a, just dry bones everywhere, and they come to life as an army? Again, things that sound, well, that's crazy. That's just a story. That's a metaphor. That's a picture. That's, God has that kind of power. God has that kind of strength. God has that kind of ability. An internal resurrection will one day turn into an external resurrection so that everyone will be made alive both inside and out. But neither of these resurrections can take place until the new covenant is established. 
Jesus instituted the new covenant in Luke 22:20, and made its official release the time of his death and resurrection. This cup, which is poured out for you, is the new covenant in my blood. Jesus confirmed that the resurrection was instituted by the covenant. And we heard those words when? Last week, right? We had communion. And that's the picture that helps us understand what Christ did and what it does for us and how it can transform in that new covenant and what he is doing. And it is all tied to resurrection. Six, the resurrection is the culmination of human history. Uh-oh. While the spiritual resurrection has been identified, the physical resurrection still has not. The book of Daniel adds the final piece to the puzzle in order to demonstrate that the resurrection will mark the end of human history. The book revolves around a prophecy about the Messiah that signals the end of time. Daniel 7, 13, and 14 describes it this way. I kept looking in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, one like a son of man was coming. And he came up to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom, that all the peoples, nations, and men of every language might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away, and his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. The revolving door of nation overthrowing nation comes to a permanent halt when the Son of Man takes the kingdom of earth for himself. The craziness that we see going on today will one day be gone because it will be Christ and a theocracy that will be in place. His reign means that the end of history itself will be ushered in in the time of new creation. It is at this time that Daniel 12.2 says, Many of those who sleep in the dust of the ground will awake, these to everlasting life, but others to disgraced and everlasting contempt. So everyone will receive a resurrection, but not everyone will possess everlasting life. We're going to be talking about that in a minute. The comprehensive and eternal nature of this resurrection indicates that it is the culmination of human history, and all its holiness will finally come to fulfillment. Almost there. Number seven. The resurrection is the cornerstone of our hope. And this is exciting because it's like now we're coming into the New Testament and we're looking at all the echoes of what the Old Testament had provided and kind of bringing it into a little bit more clarity and a little bit more understanding. If the resurrection is the solution to all evil, dependent on the Messiah, the proof of God's love, the key to a new creation, instituted by the new covenant, and the culmination of human history, it represents a fundamental doctrine for our hope. The New Testament may mention the resurrection more than the Old Testament, but it's merely developing a strong theology of resurrection started in the Old Testament. So there's, again, bring clarity, bring understanding, bring it a little bit further in. And we're going to kind of go through this quickly. First Corinthians, just buckle up. A lot of scripture coming at you right now. So it's like taking a little sip of water from a fire hydrant. 1 Corinthians 15, 17 says, If Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You are still in your sins. So the New Testament is echoing resurrection is the solution to all evil. 1 Peter 1, 3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. The New Testament echoing resurrection is dependent on Messiah. Romans 8, 37 through 39 says, No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. I don't think they left anything out there. <laughs> the New Testament echoes resurrection is the proof of God's love. And I know a lot of people struggle with that. They always go to, of God's love, why? Da, 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 da. And a lot of it is, is we don't understand God. 2 Corinthians 5, 15 and 17 says, He died for all. All. He died for all. Not just some, not just a few. His death was for all because he loved all. So that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. The New Testament is echoing here. Resurrection is the key to a new creation. Romans 6.4 Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death. So that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. The New Testament here, echoing the resurrection, is initiated by the new covenant. Revelation 20, 12. And I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books according to their deeds. The echo here is resurrection is the culmination of human history. The New Testament is not at odds with the Old Testament. In fact, it agrees. Resurrection is the cornerstone of our hope. If you're guests with us, this probably won't matter to you <laughs> what I'm going to do next. If you're normally here every week, this is going to feel a little weird and a little awkward. But at this point, I want us all to have a moment to do business with God. Now, if you're a follower of Christ, I just ask that you be praying about souls being saved today. Unless God's doing something in your heart and you need to do business with God, then do that. If you're not a follower of Christ, with your eyes closed and head bowed, and that's going to be everybody in a minute, I just want you to listen to some things God has to say to you today to open your mind and to open your heart to, to what he has brought you here, right? You came here for a reason. I believe this will be the reason. So all of you now, if you can just kind of close your eyes, bow your heads, just kind of come into God's presence, see yourself just sitting before God. As I said, those of you who aren't God's followers, Christ followers, however you want to put it, just listen. Sin is an issue, and that's what God was talking about. And this is not about pointing out your shortcomings or anything. All, Romans 3.23 says, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. 
We've all sinned. We've all done things that are displeasing to God, and there is no one who is innocent. Just see where you're at with that. If you were to stand before God today, where would you see yourself? Scripture also tells us that there's a payment for that sin. The wages of sin is death. We talked about that earlier. The punishment that we've earned for our sins is death. Not just physical death, but eternal death. Eternal separation from God in a place that is not pleasant, even remotely. Now, if we stop here, there's no hope. But there is hope in Jesus. And that's kind of our point for Easter, our point for today, the fact that God wants us to understand his plea to the world. The rest of that verse goes on to say, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Another place in scripture says, the God demonstrates his love toward us that in that, while we were still sinners, while we were still in the mess, Christ died for us. Jesus Christ died for us. Jesus' death paid for the price of our sins. And that was what we saw at the beginning of that. Him being nailed to a cross to pay for us. Every single one of us. But God wants us to have an opportunity to make a decision ourselves. And this is probably one of the things I love most about the Lord. He's not going to hold a gun to your head. He's not going to force you. He's not going to guilt you into anything. He wants you to understand his infinite love for you, despite how you may use his name in vain, despite how you may live against his principles, despite the sin that's in your life. That's how he wants you to come, an understanding of that. And this is how he asks us to come. It says that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, resurrection, right? The whole point of Easter, what we've been talking about today, you will be saved. Because of Jesus' death on our behalf, all we have to do is believe in him, trusting in his death as the payment for our sins, and we will be saved. Jesus died to pay the penalty for our sins and rescue us from eternal death. Salvation, the forgiveness of sins, is available to anyone who will trust in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And then he provides promises to us for this. Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Christ we can have a relationship of peace with him. We're also taught there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because of Jesus' death on our behalf, we will never be condemned for our sins. And again, I go back to Romans 8, 37 through 39, because I think it just it tries to hammer it down. Knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in creation will be able to separate us from the love of Christ, Jesus our Lord. He wants us to understand his love. Now if you're a Christ follower today, 
I am thrilled for you. And again, I ask you to pray for saved souls today. But if you're sitting here today and you're like, I, this is new or this is, I've heard this a couple times and I, you know what, I think I finally get it. And what do I do next? And it's like, that's where you confess. That's where you, you speak out. And again, it doesn't have to be out loud. It doesn't have to be audible. In fact, I'm going to lead you through a prayer that can get you to that place. Um, you can pray this prayer to God, saying this prayer in, <laughs> as a way to declare that God is your reliance, that you're relying on Christ Jesus for your salvation. The words themselves will not save you. Uh, only faith in Jesus Christ can provide salvation. But if that's where you're at today, where it's like, I need to make this decision. I need to put it all aside and understand what resurrection does for me and the new creation that it provides and the end of evil and all of those things that we talked about. Pray with me silently in your heart as I pray this out loud or read this out loud. It says, God, I know that I've sinned against you and am deserving of punishment. But Jesus Christ took the punishment that I deserve so that through faith in him, I could be forgiven. I place my trust in you for salvation. Thank you for your grace and forgiveness and this gift of eternal life. Amen. Before we look up again, a final reminder for all of us to just keep this mindset. Again, 2 Corinthians 5.15, he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sakes died and was raised. You can go ahead and look up. Uh, if you prayed with me this morning, tell someone about your decision for Christ before you leave here today. It doesn't have to be me. It can be some other person in, in the church here or maybe somebody who brought you. Uh, we are excited for you. Um, he is risen. He is risen indeed.